The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. The Soundtrack Show will begin in 5, 4, 3. And now, part 4 of our look at the music of Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this is our final look and listen to the adventurous score for Raiders of the Lost Ark, a film from 1981 by Paramount Pictures, directed by Steven Spielberg, produced by George Lucas, with a film score by John Williams. In our last episode, we started our adventures in Cairo, Egypt, where Indy lost Marion, found the location of the Ark, found Marion, found the Ark, lost the Ark, escaped the Well of Souls, and had a huge fist fight in front of a giant airplane. We're just going to jump right into the action and pick up where we left off. This next sequence in the film, the truck chase sequence, is the second showstopper in a row for John Williams, and the third kind of balletic piece in Raiders. First the basket chase, then the plane fight, and now the truck chase. But this sequence, no, this sequence won't be outdone by the previous two. This sequence scores the action closely, but is extremely generous in giving us giant themes for Indy and for the Nazis' lumbering caravan. It's one continuous piece of music, clocking in at a whopping 7 minutes and 44 seconds, providing non-stop coverage of the action. And it starts with a mechanical, evil, odd-timed march to immediately show us the convoy of trucks. There's a hard cut that begins the queue right after Indy, disgusted, says, What truck? Indy, we have no time. If you still want the Ark, it has been loaded onto a truck for Cairo. Truck? What truck? I mean, the guy's been up all night, barely escaped being buried alive, successfully stopped the Ark from being flown to Berlin straight from the dig site, and now this? <laughs> he can't get a break. And we, of course, in the audience love it. Williams, like the movie, just keeps upping the musical ante. Now, what I love about the beginning of this piece is that it's using low brass, like horns, to give us some evil weight. It's also in 5-4 time, meaning 5 beats to a measure, giving it an unsettling mechanical feel. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Bam, doga down, doga down, and a 5 and 1, 2 and 3, and a 4 and a 5 and... You know what else I like about that melody is that it kind of sounds like a lumbering beast of burden, like a giant elephant or something like that. But... What's really interesting about the melody is that it's borrowing an interval from the arc's leitmotif. 
If you remember the arc's light motif, it's like this. It's this. What's called a tritone. That's right, the devil's tone is in this melody as well. after all, has the MacGuffin. It has the Ark, the object that all of our characters are chasing. So it makes sense that it would be an evil, menacing variation of this Ark theme. The Nazis have essentially captured the flag. Get back to Cairo. Get us some transport to England. Boat, plane, anything. This is great. Indy's trying to piece together a plan, and the music settles down to score this. The solo trumpet... Indy is doing this alone, by the way, doesn't quite give us the full Raiders' march. Get us some transport to England. Boat, plane, anything. Here's why. Meet me at Omar's. Be ready for me. I'm going after that truck. Oh, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. Then Indy appears on a stolen horse and immediately is greeted with a brass fanfare, very much out of an old historical epic like Ben-Hur. This is followed by a strong, yet still rhythmically tentative rendition of the Raiders' March. Indy still has a long way to go, but dang it, he is not going to give up. Back to the Nazis, we hear military snare drum as they drive away. But then, on a shot of Indy riding a horse, we realize that he's catching up as the orchestra gives us the Raiders' March in its full glory. But when we see the Nazi convoy from Indy's point of view up on the ridge, their low brass march interrupts the Raiders' March. Not to be deterred, the Raiders' March picks up again as Indy gets himself in position. A moment of suspense as Indy thinks, then charges the horse down to the road. Here, the tempo changes to an even slower, heavier Nazi march, but picking up that same march melody that it started with. This continues as Indy rides alongside and finally gets into the front seat of the truck. The music gets suspenseful as he tries to take control. Nazi car rams the truck. Wilhelm scream. Now the brass excites us, but doesn't land on a key. It just ascends. What's going to happen? Now, once Indy has fully taken control of the truck and kicked the other Nazi out of the driver's seat, we hear, for the first time since the beginning of the movie, back when Indy was comically dealing with Jacques' snake on a plane, 
we hear the B melody of the Raiders' March, fully developed, scoring our hero at his best. He's actually doing it. He's actually single-handedly taking on a convoy of Nazis and starting to win. But this is interrupted as he spots a car full of Nazis on his left, forcing him to ram into random objects on the road. Now, a darkened version of the Raiders' main theme. Things seem unsure for our hero. The other cars are surrounding Jones, who is driving the truck, and they have mounted machine guns. But he knocks one of them off the road. As he does, and Harrison Ford jerks the steering wheel, listen to the sound of that truck. Listen for a lion's roar mixed in with the truck. A very sound designy trick to weaponize the vehicle in the action sequence. As he's now lost one of the two cars that were chasing him, the Raiders theme comes back majestically. Indy grins. He's got this. He does it again with the Nazi motorcycle, but the last machine gun car is catching up. The strings go suspenseful. But ultimately, he's able to knock them off of a long cliff, and Williams follows the action closely. Nine! Now, we cut to the point of view of a different Nazi truck filled with soldiers, and we get military percussion followed by our Nazi convoy theme. They're getting closer. They've mounted Indy's truck. As we cut to Indy and he sees them in the rearview mirror, we hear Indy's theme just for a bit. What follows is action music as Indy does his best to dispatch the remaining soldiers. However, one of them catches up to Indy and while he's driving, shoots him in the arm. Once this happens, the music changes and gets even slower, even heavier. and the whole orchestra plays a heavy ostinato that pounds in suspense. Our hero is in trouble! Finally, Indy is thrown out of the front of the truck and onto the front grill. He's about to get run over. The orchestra is freaking out. As the soldier in the car that's in front of the truck motions the soldier now new driver of the truck to ram Indy with that other car, the music Mickey Mouse's the truck speeding up by having the whole orchestra speed up along with it. This is a super effective scoring trick. But thinking quickly, Indy actually makes his way under the truck in a show-stopping stunt sequence. 
Using his whip, he attaches it under the belly of the truck and pops out between the two back wheels being dragged along down the road. The suspenseful ostinato continues as Jones slowly pulls himself forward toward the truck while being dragged along. And when he finally gets back on the truck, we hear a glimmer of hope. The Raiders march, fighting to emerge. But that suspenseful rhythm in the orchestra isn't stopping. Then again, neither is Indy. He makes his way back into the front seat and successfully regains control of the truck, pushing the Nazi soldier out the front just like he had been previously. Only it doesn't go as well for the soldier. Asanato keeps going, but now it's augmented by the B melody of the Raiders' March, fighting to gain control of the situation. This is musical storytelling at its finest, providing a play-by-play commentary on the chase. Eventually, the Raiders' B theme wins out as Indy passes Belloc and the Nazis' car and knocks them out of the way. Indy has captured the Ark. But the music winds down from this victory, acknowledging that he's been injured as Indy grabs his left arm in pain. As Indy hides the truck in Cairo, we get a tired but victorious statement of the Raiders' March, with a Mickey-mousing harp as a storefront tarp hides the truck out of sight. Audience cheers. We catch our breath. Author Emilio Odesino mentions this last statement of the Raiders' March at the end of the truck chase and points out that it is indeed an incomplete statement. He said it best by saying, quote, The battle is won. The war, not yet. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. Back in Cairo, our heroes book passage on Captain Katanga's pirate ship. As they're leaving, Marion says goodbye to Sala. That is for fire. That is for your children, and this is for you. A British tar is a soaring soul, as free as a mountain bird. His energetic fist should be ready. There's that HMS pinafore again. This time he sings the song, A British Tar. Now on board Katanga's ship, when we first see Marion and Jones in their cabin, Marion is actually whistling that song, A British Tar, as a nod to the previous scene. Where did you go? I'm cleaning up. Jones is hurt. He doesn't look so good. Marion, on the other hand, looks amazing in a new change of clothes, and as she admires them in a mirror, while Jones is simultaneously looking at his own grizzled face on the other side of the mirror, 
She swings the mirror back, knocking an already miserable Jones in the face. We hear the start of a scream, but it cuts away to a long shot of the ship at sea. The scream is immediately filtered and echoes out on the camera cut, a gag that suggests that his scream is so loud you could even hear it from the middle of the ocean. What'd you say? The what'd you say gag has always been kind of funny to me as it's never quite made sense. But the thing about this whole sequence in Indiana Jones is perhaps that after all the insanity that we've been through, we're going to let some logic slide. What's more important at this point is to have a little fun, a little comic relief and a downbeat moment for our heroes and for us, the audience, to recover. And maybe, even just maybe, we'll see our two main characters finally catch a break and have a quiet, romantic moment together. As we cut to Indy taking off his shirt, covered in wounds, Marion's theme makes a quiet entrance with flutes. Ah, wait, I don't need any help. I do. I'm not the man I knew 10 years ago. It's not the years, right? It's the mileage. What Williams is about to set up here is a love scene in the style of classic Hollywood. The love part was never explicitly shown, but implied or suggested by passionate romantic music. Audiences in the 30s and 40s knew what was being suggested, and so we know where this scene is most likely headed. We're wrong, of course. Please, I don't need a nurse. I just want to sleep. He's such a baby. Marion, leave me. Go away. Yes. Marion nurses Indy's wounds. Wow. Well, goddammit, Indy, where doesn't it hurt? Here. Eventually, it leads to a tired argument that turns into actually a sweet moment. Here. as the music swells, our characters finally passionately kiss. But oh, wait, oh, no, Indy, um, okay, yeah. Yeah, he's asleep. Jones. Jones? We never seem to get a break, do we? This is yet another example of Spielberg and crew putting a spin on classic adventure movies. Our hero is human, after all. What makes this moment so funny, though, again, is the music. The music builds and builds in anticipation, and then it winds down. Williams even uses a celeste at the end to simulate a music box winding down, or maybe playing for someone who falls into a childlike sleep. Jones. But we don't get to rest for long. This scene is overtaken suddenly by synthesizer-like, wind-like sounds as we cut to the Ark resting in a Nazi crate below deck. Remember the wind from earlier? The magic power of the Ark that the movie has been setting up all along? Here, as an audience, we're treated to some inside knowledge, seeing what our characters don't. 
the arc pulsating in the darkness, burning out the Nazi logo on the crate in powerful damnation. The power of God is in that arc, quietly sitting on that pirate ship. John Williams, along with sound designer Ben Burtt, does some great work here in building the suspense and cluing us in to some inside knowledge. But we get a hard cut away of all those sounds to the next morning. What is it? No music. Engines have stopped. I'm gonna go check. The engines have stopped. A German U-boat has stopped the pirate ship. As we see the U-boat, Williams enters with low brass, this time a bit more confident. I sent my man for you. You and the girl must disappear. We have a place in the hole. Come on, go, go, go. Come on, go, my friend, go. The Nazis have the Ark, and Indy has found a hiding spot. Oh no, they have Marion again. Marion tries to hit Belloc, and Williams Mickey Mouses this. After he does, the orchestra cue stops. Katanga lies about killing Indiana Jones and tries to lie in order to save Marion. It doesn't work. As Belloc takes Marion and we cut to the U-boat, we get more underscore, the Nazi theme with light flutes. Then, when we cut back to the pirates, who also have no idea where Indiana Jones is, we hear the beginnings of the B section of the Raiders' March in the strings, as if something heroic may be about to happen, like you can almost feel it on the ocean breeze. Can't find Mr. Jones, Captain. I've looked everywhere. Finally, a crew member spots Indy inexplicably on top of the German sub. When he points to him, the winds and strings accentuate the pointing. I found him. Where? There. When we see Jones on the U-boat, we get the fullest Raiders march we've ever gotten, stated almost twice in a row. features the first audible rendition of that flat two chord. This right here. I call it a chord where Indy overcomes incredible danger, but Emilio Adesino calls it the showing off modulation. Either way, the pirates cheer just like the audience does. We cheer in amazement that Jones is unstoppable and still, after all that, chasing after that arc. I mentioned earlier that this sequence aboard Katanga's ship is one in which we, the audience, are prepared to let logic slide a little. Maybe it's because of everything we've been through, maybe it's part of the playbook of this kind of adventure genre, but at this point, we're totally won over, and perhaps aren't too concerned about A, how Indy got over to that U-boat, and B, how the heck is he going to get on board and or not drown? The point? I think Williams is a huge part in aiding this, and Emilio Adesino agrees in his book, John Williams' Film Music. By giving us a huge feel-good moment here, like the Raiders' March, we are emotionally captivated by the moment, and more willing to suspend our disbelief than perhaps any other moment prior while watching Raiders. We just go with it, 
and we move on to the next sequence. Talking! Talking doesn't work! Talking doesn't work! Talking! The film geographically moves us along into a traveling map sequence, Nazi style. Again, the Nazi motif is played with winds as we travel to a secret island base near Crete. The music tells us that this is enemy territory when we arrive. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. And now, for the final scenes and final film score cues of Raiders of the Lost Ark. We, the audience, have arrived with the German U-boat to a secret base on an unknown island near Crete. Suspenseful, evil music plays, until the camera reveals a very disheveled and soaking wet Indiana Jones hiding behind some cargo. As we realize that it's him, we hear a very soft, tentative French horn give us a slight piece of the Raiders' march. Just a piece. You'll notice throughout this next sequence that Williams uses the Raiders' March to track Indy's movement and even his thoughts on screen. Indy looks up and sees a guard facing the other direction from him. Right before we see a very decided look on Indy's face, Williams tells us that Indy has an idea with a high-pitched clarinet playing a similar fragment of the Raiders' March. As Indy gets the idea to sneak up and take the soldier's uniform, low strings begin to signal the sneaky attempt. Suddenly, we cut to a wide shot of that same soldier, and as he disappears behind the cargo, from Indy taking him out, Williams catches this with the orchestra. Another satisfying indie punch. Then, in his hiding spot in the shadows, he sees Marion exiting the U-boat. We get a larger fragment of the Raiders' march with woodwinds, a little more confident this time. Clearly, Indy is planning something heroic. The music is telling us this, but it's also saying it won't be easy. Moments later, and Indy begins to don the stolen uniform, only to find out, in yet another example of playing with genre, that the uniform doesn't fit. It's too small. Here, we're treated to another aw-crap version of Indy's theme, orchestrated with woodwinds playing an even bigger chunk of the melody, followed by comically light pizzicato low strings to accentuate the gag. but it's interrupted by a German officer, and momentarily the music becomes minor key brass. Guten Tag. But as Indy and we realize, the officer isn't very bright and thinks Indy's just an unkempt German soldier. So the melody continues in a comical manner. Müde. Warum schläfst du? Wo ist dein Hemd? Wasch dich mal, damit du nicht aussiehst wie ein That is until Indy knocks the man down. <laughs> As he does, the officer's hat flies up from below frame, and Woodwinds Mickey Mouse this when Indy catches it. New uniform sorted. A little while later, we see a man in German uniform standing guard in front of the camera. Just to make sure that we all realize that it's Indy, 
he does look very different than his normal strong silhouette of jacket and hat, Williams gives us a sneaky woodwind version of the Raiders' March. So we are all on the same page. We now know that this is Indy in disguise, and we can track him. He shoulder checks Belloc and eventually joins the ranks of other Nazi men in uniform. As we cut to the hot exterior of the island, and a parade of soldiers are moving the Ark, we hear the Ark theme. And as they march toward their long-awaited ceremonial opening of this Ark, we hear a motif that I think, again, is an homage to Franz Waxman's score for The Bride of Frankenstein heard as Dr. Pretorius and the monster awaken the bride. This bit right here from Raiders. Sounds just like this from Bride of Frankenstein. Anyway. We see that Indy is hiding in uniform, marching with the group, and as he slips away, we hear another Raiders March fragment in a low, sneaky register to help us again to track the whereabouts of our hero. His hiding behind a truck is Mickey Mouse very quickly. Then, a huge statement of the arc theme, which this whole next scene is about. After this large statement, we get tremolo strings that fade into a tense scene. A scene which, by the way, has no music. Which, when you consider how long the pauses are in certain parts of this scene, it's kind of remarkable. We are simply passing through history. This. Right here, Belloc challenges Indy to go ahead and blow up the Ark. This is history. Knowing that he won't. I won't even edit this for time, but check out how long a stretch of silence we get in this scene. With a ton of character reactions. Belloc. Do as you will. Marion. Tote. Indy. No music. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Three, one thousand. Four, one thousand. I'm assuming this choice is made to save the musical tension for what we all know is going to happen next. Night has fallen. As the ceremony begins, we're treated to suspenseful underscore. And a little bit of a blustery evening. Belloc asks the soldiers to open the ark. This opening is played with tension. only to reveal sifting sand, Mickey Moused by the orchestra. Have they failed? Is there nothing inside the Ark? <laughs> ben Bird and John Williams immediately tell us otherwise. The Ark theme plays as the Ark destroys all of the Nazi lighting and camera equipment. Thank <laughs> you. 
A slow synth pulse, rushing wind, electricity, whooshes. Ben Burt hard at work with Williams giving us the arc theme quietly and suspensefully, ready to slowly build. Now, the hardened, scruffy, no-nonsense Dr. Jones sends something to Marion that is very important to his character arc. <laughs> arc. Marion, don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Marion. Don't look at it no matter what happens. Okay, stop. This is the payoff to the mystical subplot that runs through Raiders. A subplot which, by the way, is very common in classic Hollywood movies. This is a faithless man that suddenly tells Marion to close her eyes and not to look at the Ark. It just took the tiniest leap of faith for Indy to save his life and Marion's by saying this line. And we, the audience, already know he needs to take it. We know that the Ark is powerful. We were let in on this earlier, if you remember. So now we cheer at Indy's leap of faith because according to this story, it's what separates him from not only the Nazis, but also his arch nemesis, his darker mirror image, the self-reflection that he fears, the French archaeologist Belloc. As soon as he says this line, John Williams ratchets up the musical power. Shut your eyes, Mary, and don't look at it no matter what happens. The arc theme blares in high-ranged trumpets. Then, as the spirits dance around, the winds play a dance-like modal line, and the music settles on a cadence as a gorgeous spirit floats towards Belloc, and he cries that it's beautiful. beautiful. But then, when that face turns demonic, the music goes into a stabbing horror motif, a la the shower scene in Psycho, scored by William's real-life pal, the late Bernard Herrmann an instant way of effectively communicating horror. While the brass and percussion are giving us the repeating stabs, the strings are doing a huge rising glissando to give us the idea that a giant surge of uncontrollable power is building, emanating from the arc. Then Ben Burt takes over the mix as the Nazis are all struck down. Then Williams takes back the stabbing mix as our main baddies are eliminated. The arc theme plays again as its power surges into the sky. finally lands back down again, lid closed, punctuated by booming thunder. The role of the orchestra, for example, at, at, at the, in the end of, of the Raiders of the Lost Ark film is a complicated one because we, we may have these rays of light coming up and then a, a beautiful face suddenly turning into a skeleton where the music has to perhaps lure us into something that's sonically that's going to say this is going to be a beautiful experience and then and then torture it and turn it around with the sound effects into something that could be quite terrifying it's something that we we would do in opera 
uh, it's part of the grammar and part of the technique of a composer and an orchestrator's tools to to manipulate sound in that way, to lure us into one place and then deliver something else in the process. The end of Raiders of the Lost Ark is a very good example of, of that kind of sonic transformation. Certainly the most supernatural part of the film was the end sequence where they open the ark and the spirits flow out and destroy everyone. So quite a bit of sound went into that. It's obviously the kind of sequence where there's nothing to record on the set at all. It's all going to be manufactured later. One, two, three, four. And uh, the sequence begins uh, with the uh, lid being slid off the ark. And uh, I experimented with a few different things, but I found that sliding the toilet tank cover in my own home toilet was perfectly sufficient. And uh, if I recorded that in an echoey bathroom, it seemed to fit although in a rather undignified way, the character of the Ark itself. The Ark itself, the humming, the, the uh, deep undulating tones that went with it, uh, were generated by a synthesizer. It's rare that I use an electronic synthesizer, but this was one case where I found uh, the kind of sound I wanted. I had an old ARP 2600, which is what I used to do R2-D2 and by reprogramming it, I was able to produce some wavering low frequency tones, which became the basic sound. Once the uh, arc is opened and the spirits start flowing around, um, there's quite a bit of work there taking animal screams and some human vocalizations, uh, as well as dolphin cries, which we had recorded, and sea lions. Uh, I ran those through a vocoder, which keeps a sense of the original sound, but adds a musical tone that follows the same pattern as the voice. So it gave it an otherworldly quality. All the sparking and beams were from a set of recordings I made of the old gear that was used in the Frankenstein movies. It was a fabulous variety of electronic devices and lightning generators and things of that sort. And out of that came all the sounds for the beams and things. After the arc is closed and Indy opens his eyes, the first thing he realizes is that his ropes have been burned off by the same power that destroyed everyone around them. He hugs Marion, and Marion's theme plays lightly. Though it pauses mid-phrase as they both stare in wonder, and with a healthy amount of fear, at the Ark. By the way, notice that in the shot, it's not just that they're the only ones left standing. They're the only ones, period. No bodies, no equipment left behind. Everything was swept away. Wiped clean by the wrath of God. The next cue that we hear also begins with Marion's theme as the two are leaving a bureaucratic meeting in Washington, D.C. They don't know what they've got there. Well, I know what I've got here. Come on, buy a drink. And Marion offers to buy a frustrated Jones a drink. He reluctantly drink. agrees, finally choosing Marion and leaving his obsession with the Ark behind.
as he does, we cut to a large warehouse where the Ark is being crated up and placed somewhere in deep storage. theme plays and swells to a crescendo. But rather than resolving, the credits roll and we're treated at long last to the full theme, the Raiders' March in all of its glory. I want to thank you all for coming on this adventure with The Soundtrack Show. John Williams' score for Raiders of the Lost Ark represents one of the purest neoclassical scores of the 1980s, so closely resembling a classic Max Steiner score from the 30s and 40s in both tone and technique, so much so that it brought this style roaring back to life for a new generation. And it's why many of us still love talking about orchestral film scores today. As always, I love hearing from you please send your feedback to soundtrackshowpodcast at gmail.com or please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SoundtrackShowHSW or on Twitter at SoundtrackHSW. I'm also on Twitter at David W. Collins. Until next time, I wish you all fortune and glory. Thank you. The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.